It is good to be with friends that uh, are here with me in Dallas and also in Plano and Fort Worth and Frisco. Um, and it was great to be with my friends in Plano last week when I was up there just sharing the exciting news about um, what we believe God's going to do with that little community up there in Plano. And so it's great to be all back together this morning. We are here, if you're a guest, studying a book called First Thessalonians. And let me just tell you a little about this place because sometimes you walk into a community like this and you're like, what is Thessalonians? Why are we studying this? I mean, I'm, uh, my life has got a lot going on. I'm, I, I've experienced a lot of um, brokenness, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. And I don't know if I want to read a letter that was written to some folks that lived 2,000 years ago. And I don't blame you. But let me tell you what we're doing. We're about to study the Word of God, which is living and active. The scripture says sharper than a two-edged sword. And so it is able to pierce us and divide, if you will, tear us open so God can do surgical work and root out death and disease and bring health to us. That's what the Word of God is. It's a living, breathing, kind word from a God who loves you. And you need to know this, the word that went to the Thessalonians is the primary word I want you to hear tonight. And that is that God loves you, that God doesn't want you to live in a way that's gonna increase your own pain because of your own rebellion and foolishness against him. He wants to rescue you from the domain of darkness that all of humankind is in until they get their mind right with God, until they see God for who he is in all of his goodness and all his glory, and they go, I'd love to be in relationship with you. And he says, awesome, because I'd love to be in relationship with you. And ever since you and all of humanity left me, I've been seeking you. And primarily God sought us through his son, Jesus, who is the visible image of the invisible God. And God's plan, as he revealed to us through Jesus, was that when people came to understand the holiness of God, the love of God through his own provision for sinners, that Christ died for us so that we could be forgiven, that he paid the debt of our sin, the wages of our turning from God is that we are left in death but God's given us the free gift to be reconciled to him if we just trust in his goodness and the glory of what his son has done for us. And then Jesus says, I'm gonna leave you here though. I'm gonna leave you here in this world that is not your home to love others in my name. Now, before we're done today, I'm gonna read to you um, from a section of scripture where it says that God left us here to complete what is lacking in Christ's sufferings. Now, let me say this to you real quick. We don't believe that Jesus is being constantly re-sacrificed for us. We don't believe that there's a continual crucifixion. We believe Jesus, when he said, it is finished, to tell us that, paid in full. There's no longer a need to offer sacrifice. The perfect sacrifice has been offered. All that's necessary is that you trust in God's provision and sacrifice. But he says, I want you, just like Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God, I want you to be the visible image of the invisible, if you will, see at the right hand of God the Father, Jesus, who for a time cannot be seen in this world. But he is not dead, and he is coming quickly. And I want you to represent him. Now, I'm going to do something that I don't do very often when I'm working my way through a book of the Bible, and that is I'm going to stay right where we were, all right? And um, we are going to 
stay in 1 Thess 2, 1 through 12. We're not going to push ahead because this section of Scripture is so core to everything that we are supposed to be about, all right? Now, let me just encourage you with this. Let me show you how relevant this book is. Um, history is really helpful to us if we um, don't repurpose it for our own agendas. Thessalonica was a very strategic city. It was a harbor city. It was a major trade route from east to west. And it was a place of all kinds of um, world commerce. And it was uh, a place where there were, uh, there were pagans, there were Jews, there were um, Roman um, worshipers of, of Roman deities. There were Greek worshipers of Greek deities. And there was amazing lawlessness. Listen to what one historian said about Thessalonica. In fact, when we did some archaeological digs, I say we like, I did it, no. When archaeologists did um, some digs on ancient Thessalonica, they found that there was no windows in the houses, which was uncommon in that region. But the reason they said there was no windows is because people living in Thessalonica were in such fear. There was this thing called the coronavirus, which had just swept over Thessalonica. And so they just shut it down. No, I don't, I don't know why there was no windows, okay? There was no coronavirus, except there was the virus of sin. And what you're going to see is that sin wasn't a Jewish problem. It wasn't a non-Jewish problem. It was a people problem. And so when all the nations of the world gathered at this massive trade route, there was just nothing but an influx of the disease of sin in Thessalonica. And people, when they built houses, they would not put windows in them. Murder was commonplace. Divorce was frequent. Prostitution was high. Immorality was rampant. And one of the things that you've got to do is remind yourself that the world that you live in is not unique in its horror and in its brokenness, okay? The world's always been crazy ever since it said, I don't think God's good, I don't think his word is true, I don't think disobeying him is that big a deal. So if you've been divorced or being divorced or doing things that deserve to be divorced from, if prostitution is alluring to you, if immorality is attractive to you, if you're scared and fearful of the world that you live in, this is a book which should encourage you specifically that God wants to use you as a person that brings peace to that chaos. Now, let me just say this to those of you who are in here today and who are not like the apostle Paul, who is the one who wrote this book along with his other buddies, this plurality of leadership with Paul and Silas and Timothy were coming together to share with people the story that I started this message with today, which is just that God loves you. He doesn't want you to live in fear and immorality. He doesn't want you to be marching towards death. He wants you to be set free. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you purpose and joy. Now, one of the things to remind you of is I spent some time, um, the very first week we were in this book, talking about what was true of people who believed in Thessalonica. Paul was only there for three Sabbaths, about 21 days. And then he was run out, okay? And in those 21 days, the, the, the message of the gospel took root and then it flourished and, and it created um, a group of people that had become 
legendary in their repentance and their transformation so that all of the Macedonian region was talking about what God did in Thessalonica. That's what's happening in Fort Worth. It's what's been happening in Dallas. It's, it's what happens in Plano and Frisco and like I said, other places that God's gonna let us be. It's what should happen every place the people of God gather. The people of God should not be just um, a gathering of people that are just going through some cultural um, exercise. They should bring something that sets the whole world on its head. They bring about a cultural revolution, and the revolution is more kindness, more goodness, more grace, more selflessness, more hope. That's what the people of God should be. And I say here all the time, if the only people that care that Watermark doesn't exist are the folks that drive here on the weekends, or on Monday nights for Regen, Tuesday nights for the porch, Wednesday nights for Reengage, or women's study or men's study. If the only people that care that we're not here are folks that are, are experiencing um, a place to gather, then we are not the church that Jesus wants us to be. Thessalonica, on one hand, you're gonna find out there were certain people that didn't like Paul's message. But you're gonna also find out that all of Macedonia goes, you know what, we don't much like what he said, but we sure like the fruit he left behind. Now let me just do this, I haven't done this yet. I wanna read Acts 17, um, really one through 10, because this is the story of Paul engaging with these folks, okay? And so here we go, this is Acts 17. Now, when they had traveled through in Philippolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And so what Paul's gonna do is he's gonna go to them He's gonna open the Bible, he's gonna teach them the scripture, and he's gonna to begin to share with them from the scripture how this has been Jesus, God's plan all along, which is to bring a Messiah, an anointed one, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace, wonderful counselor, was gonna to come to the world for the world through the Jews. It was never about the Jews. It was that God was gonna bless the world through the Jews. And so he went to the synagogue, he opened the scrolls, and he showed them. This story I'm about to tell you is the story, Jews, that God told you he was in the middle of. I'll say it again. Christianity is not a new faith system. It's as old as Moses, literally. All right? Um, Islam, Judaism, they all flow out of the same story. There's a perversion in there one quenching revelation, the other inventing new revelation. But you need to know, Christianity is not just 2,000 years old. It is the fulfillment and the completion of what God said. So here's what he says. Paul reasoned with them according, you know, from the scriptures, verse three, explaining, giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And saying this, this Jesus whom I'm preaching to you is the Christ. Don't be alarmed that the Jewish Messiah died. It's all there. Look at Isaiah 53 and other places all throughout the scripture. And some of them, it says, were persuaded. And they joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women in the city. So the church of Christ is born. But the Jews, becoming jealous, some who didn't believe, and seeing that folks were now following this new teaching of Paul, were like, hey, we don't like what this guy's doing. And so they stirred up trouble. And they took along some wicked men from the marketplace, probably guys that were for sale to just um, create trouble. 
Uh, they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar. The Greek word here is antifa, okay? And, um, kidding, all right, be offended. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they went to Jason's house where they were staying. It says, when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city, um, authorities saying, watch this, these men, these are the men who have upset the world and they've come here. Now, let me just throw this in here, okay? They upset the world. In other words, things were radically different. I, I don't know, and I'm gonna just put in a little shameless commercial for you. I don't know, how many of you guys have heard about this thing called The Chosen? It's a show that you can find. Just, I'm literally, show of hands, who's heard of The Chosen? Okay, not very many. Tonight you're all gonna hear, today you're gonna hear, all hear about The Chosen. The Chosen is an amazing story of Christ that's being produced um, by some folks that um, have just done an outstanding job in taking the story of Scripture and, and having to add some content that's not there to make the narrative work. It's the best I've ever seen, all right? You can watch it. You watch the first four episodes for free. There's eight. They're going to make eight seasons of it, and I'm just going to tell you, the first eight episodes are world-class. And I'm gonna give you a little spoiler alert. You might know how the story ends if you've been paying attention at all while you're around here. But, but this is how season one ends. This is how season one ends. It, it ends with Jesus saying, hey, we gotta to go to Jerusalem. And the disciples said, well, okay, let's go. You know, we've only got, we gotta get going because it's six days to get there. And he goes, three. And they go, it's six. He goes, it's three. And I'm watching this. The first time I watched it, you know, and I'm thinking, that's kind of odd that they put that in there. Why are they putting that in there? And so some other um, interactions happen. And they go, hey, Jesus, we got to get going. It's just five days. We're going to have to really, you know, hump it to get down there in five days. He goes, it's only going to take us three. And so now I'm thinking, okay, what are they going to do? Is there some secret Jesus tunnel that he gets in and slides there? Is he going to get a magic carpet? I mean, where's this thing going to go, right? And so anyway, they're walking, and I love this. They're walking along, and they get to the spot as they leave Galilee where all the righteous Jews took a left, and they went east across the Jordan River into what's called Perea, which is modern-day Jordan, and they walked down the eastern side of the Jordan River, and then they re-entered down there just north of the Dead Sea, and then they went up to Jerusalem. Why? Because between Galilee and Judea, there was this region called Samaria, and Samaria was made up of Jews that stayed around during the exile that wed and joined themselves to Babylonians and Assyrians, and they were half-breeds. And Jews felt like they weren't real Jews. And so they basically said, we won't go through Samaria. And you know, Jesus didn't much care about men's prejudices. And so they get to the spot and they all start to go left and Jesus keeps walking straight. And they go, it's this way, master. He goes, no, it's this way. And, and you know, the Matthew character, you know, who has the map says, no, no, it says this way. And he goes, it's this way. And he keeps walking, and they turn to each other like the disciples were prone to do, and they said this. They kind of looked at each other, that's different. And Jesus is already about 10 steps around, and he hears them say, that's different. And he turned around, and he goes, get used to different. And then he kept walking. And that's the way it ends. And I'm like, that is brilliant. <laughs> when you are with Jesus, man, you better get used to different. Because if everything doesn't change, then I don't think you've met him. And the one thing that changes everything is the way you think about God, you think about his word, 
you think about church differently. It's not a place you go to kind of punch your ticket and to do what you need to do to kind of work your way up to God. No, this is where you come to be around God's people to remind each other things that are true, to remember the kindness of God, to sing songs about his love and his goodness and the work that he's done so you can be reminded on how you are to live for him because the world should be turned on its head when Christ followers, God followers, redeemed people begin to interact with others. Are you with me? That's what's going on right here. And if that's not what's happening in you, then you're not gonna produce in Dallas, Fort Worth, Plano, Frisco, and other places what God wants you to produce. He doesn't want you just to come hear Paul teach in Thessalonica. He wants you to turn from idols to a living God. So these are men that word is out when the gospel that these men bring goes forward, the world just flips on its head. And so it says at this particular point um, in verse seven, Jason welcomed them and they all acted. Um, Jason's the one who's taking these people in, verse seven, and all of them act contrary to the decrees of Caesar because they said that there's no king but Caesar. And these guys said there's another king. Verse eight, they stirred at the crowds and the city authorities who heard these things. It was just chaos. It was just going nuts. And they received a pledge from Jason. We'll talk more about this potentially a little bit later. Jason did something. Jason probably himself was arrested where he bonded himself out and said, I'll, I'll no longer provide these guys safe harbor. I'll no longer make my house a house of peace to them. Whatever he did, whether he cut a deal or whether he just couldn't handle anymore, the brethren went back and, and they said to Paul and Silas, you gotta go, you gotta leave. And maybe because they just thought, like they did this to me, I got my way out and we love you, right? I just came out, I had to bond my way out so I could tell you they're coming to hang you you know, to beat you to death or to stone you. And so they snuck him away by night to Berea. That's the best case scenario. And we know that they went on to Berea. And so what did Paul do? He just looked for another synagogue. And he said, let's go. Let's just do it again. Now look at First Thess chapter two. Watch this. For you yourselves know, church of Thessalonica, that our coming to you was not in vain. It was not without effect. You know, the power of God went to work and it turned your world upside down. You heard about the kindness of God, the fulfillment of the scriptures, that Jesus is the living sacrifice, Jesus is the living God, that Jesus changes you and it radically changed you. It wasn't just some um, elixir that had some small effect that only was a psychosomatic. No, it radically changed you. What Paul's saying is that everything is different. I'm going to say to you again, if Jesus doesn't change your everything, if he doesn't change your perspective about every aspect of your life, you have not met Jesus. If Jesus doesn't change your everything, you have not met Jesus. That doesn't mean that you're going to be without sin from here on out, but you're, even your attitude towards sin is what changes. You don't just hate it now when you get caught that's just a worldly sorrow. No, you hate it because you're like, what am I doing? Why am I going back to this, this life of death when I know the goodness of the word of God? And so Paul's saying, you know that our coming was not in vain. But, now watch this, see if you now know the context of Acts 17. After we had already suffered, that's a word for physical suffering, and been mistreated, that's a word kind of for judicial error, injustice, in Philippi, that's what happened in Philippi. Um, they were beaten up there. They came to Thessalonica and we still had the boldness to speak to you. And even though we caused a riot there in Thessalonica, 
We moved on to Berea, let them have it there. And then we went down to Athens, let them have it there. And then we went to Corinthians, and we let them have it there. And guess what happens when Paul gets in each of those places? It stirs it up again. Because there are certain people that go, I don't want to know that there's a God. I don't want anybody telling me that, that I'm culpable to anybody or anything. I'm gonna live the way I wanna live. And don't you dare tell me that there's truth that I've got to bow my knee to. I bow my knee to nobody. And Paul said, well, you will one day, every one of you, every knee, and every mouth will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And some people don't take kindly to that. But watch what Paul did. He had boldness because of God's greatness and God's reality. And I just wanna ask you, okay, because what I'm doing right here, this section of scripture that we're in is so important. Um, the very first week I taught a message in Thessalonians, I titled it, The Kind of Church That Others Are Thankful For. And then last week, the message was titled, um, The Kind of Leader That Produces a Church That Others Are Thankful For. That was last week's message. And what I wanna do is spend some time again in here telling you who Jesus expects us, his church, to be. If you're here and you're a guest and you're not sure who Jesus is, you need to know. We take seriously God's command to us to be about what he wants us to be about. We don't get our fire insurance and then just join our little club and get along. We change everything. Everything is different. And we're here for you. So um, last week, I think it was the 70th anniversary of a guy named Richard Wormbrand. One of the books I read early in my journey towards Christ-likeness was a book called Tortured for Christ by Richard Wormbrand. Uh, Richard Wormbrand uh, was a pastor in um, Romania when communist Russia moved into the Romania. And, um, and most of the church in Romania bowed to communism. They... Um, were offered a pay raise if they uh, would put Stalin uh, in the front of all their churches and they basically embraced uh, communist ideology if they distorted the scriptures to be um, explained in a way like just like you're hearing in America today. There are all kinds of politicians that distort and twist the scripture to tell you that, hey, this is what love is. And there's some that will distort it and go, hey, this sounds like you know, Jesus wants us to live in a commune. Have you read Acts 2? It says they sold all the possessions and held all things in common, communism, socialism. But you need to understand this, Acts 2. There's a real truth real quick on it. I beg you to go listen to it. Acts 2, 42 through 47 does not teach socialism or communism. It just teaches that people who meet Jesus are different. And just like socialism and communism are from the pits of hell, so is crony capitalism and greed. And it's a problem when people um, continue, especially people who take the name of Jesus, continue to live to make a living instead of live to make a difference. And so church, I, I do not believe in socialism and communism. It's gonna ruin every bit of freedom that we have. I also don't believe in greed and materialism and um, obsessive capitalism that shows favoritism to some people at the expense of others. It's unbiblical completely. 
I do believe in personal autonomy, personal responsibility, personal freedom, personal property. But I'm gonna remind you of something. You're gonna be personally accountable for what you do with the blessing that God has given you. So watch that real truth real quick. And watch your heart. And don't let it grow old. This book is here. I love the Bible. It is here to comfort the afflicted and it's here to afflict the comfortable. And I will say that too much of the church today is way too comfortable. Paul wasn't. Paul was certain about God's reality. He was certain about God's goodness and God's power. He was certain about the truth of God's word and that's what made him bold. And I wanted to say something to you. Are you sure that you know who God is? Because as lawlessness increases, the hearts of many will grow cold. That's what's gonna happen in the last days. Jesus tells us that in Matthew 24. And so you better steal yourself, just like Richard Wormbrand did. He was sitting in a meeting with all the different faith leaders that were there, and the communist people were there watching, and he saw the church bowing with a weak knee to the Nebuchadnezzar of the day. And his wife, she said, why are you sitting here? And he looked at her. He goes, because if I stand up, you're going to lose your husband. And she says, I don't want a husband if he's a coward. And that brother got up, and he walked down, and he took the mic, and he rallied the church and called them to not forsake the one true and living God. And it cost him. Now, he watched a bunch of people that... Um, stayed in the church. By the way, if you go back and you watch what happened in um, Nazi Germany, the exact same thing happened in Nazi Germany. And the exact same thing is happening in socialized Western worlds today. Listen to me. The church that starts to say that the world's way is what love looks like, that, um, that, uh, when you hold to an orthodox interpretation of scripture that is hate speech and intolerant and bigoted, it's going to be the church that persecutes the church. Mark my word. They're gonna parade all kinds of individuals, robed, collared, and casual before media and say, this is the kind of church leader that we want. Guys like that over at Watermark and Wagner, we gotta get rid of them. We're gonna imprison them. Martin Niemöller was um, a great leader in, in Nazi Germany, and um, he was in prison. He was a great theologian, a contemporary of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was in jail, and when he was in jail one time, uh, there was a young church leader that had kind of bought into uh, the, the fascist way and wasn't preaching um, a gospel that was not governed by Nazism. He was... Um, he was acquiescing to the powers that be in order to keep in power. And he was walking along, and Martin Niemöller was no small name. And he walked by, and he saw Niemöller. And he goes, Pastor Niemöller, what are you doing in prison? And Niemöller looked back at him and said to the young guy, said, no, my son. The question is, what are you doing out there? I know why you're out there. I know why you're still getting money from the government to be a pastor, because you're no pastor. Richard Wormbrand saw that happen. By the way, you want to go read uh, on this, you ought to go study the church in um, Nazi Germany and the way it went from 
the church, then they formed the true, uh, the confessing church, then it was the true confessing church, and it kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller until they can imprison Niemöller and hang Bonhoeffer. If we don't do our job, that's going to be our job, to get hung, get beaten. You cannot be silent in the face of what's happening in our country. You've got to stand up and not care that it's not popular to speak truth about God's morality and God's truth. I'm going to tell you this. This is um, uh, something that Wormbrand wrote in a book called um, God's Underground. Uh, God's Underground. He said, it's strange that men who wrote with what seemed deep Christian faith should turn traitors so easily. It seems strange that the, the tens of thousands that came to Watermark all of a sudden turned traitors so easily. Perhaps the answer was that in their writings, and he mentions a couple of folks that wrote like they love Jesus, that what they really love Jesus for is his gifts. They loved the peace that was offered. They loved the salvation that was offered. And Warmbrand writes this, but a real disciple does not seek gifts, but seeks Christ. And he is ready to sacrifice to the end. Listen to this line. They were not followers of Jesus, these men, but they were customers. When the communists opened a shop next door with goods at lower prices, they took their business there. I'm telling you, I am trying, we are praying that that's not going to be what happens to you, church. That you have no business but God's business. And you will do the business of suffering and being mistreated in Philippi and in Plano and in Fort Worth. And that you know about God's greatness and God's reality. And so you can handle opposition. You're not gonna do well in ministry if you don't like opposition. By the way, some of you are getting no opposition amongst your parents in your school districts. Some of you are getting no opposition from principals and school boards because you're silent. You're just going along with it because it hasn't affected you yet. And you better wake up, church. You better start running for office and in love leading. You better support candidates that don't tolerate sin and stupidity. And you better offer a better way in the name of Jesus because that's part of what God wants us to do. Um, one more quote from Wormbrand. He just says, um, there are two kinds of Christians. Those who sincerely believe in God and those who just as sincerely believe that they believe. And you can tell them apart in decisive moments. Can I just say something to you? We are in a decisive moment. And some of you have been silent when you watch the child abuse that is going on, when we're teaching kids in our elementary schools that there is no binary gender, that is child abuse. That's social conditioning. In Hosea chapter four, verse six, it says that you have forgotten me and so I will forget your children. You think suicide and drug use and anxiety is a problem among this generation's youth? Just hang around. You keep giving them the miasma and the air that is being preached in political correctness. You keep letting them read the books and following the philosophy of the progressive elites. You keep sending them to godless, atheistic, liberal seminary, I mean, liberal seminaries and liberal colleges and not prepare them to speak up. 
It's long been time. Now watch this. What I want to do is just show you in this little section, we, we don't have an option to speak up. And I, I, um, I, I just I want to say this. this. The kind of church that, that turns the world upside down in every good way is the kind of church that's led by the kind of men that Paul says he was in First Thess. So here's just a little chart. I just went through First Thessalonians and chapter 2, and in this section, I'm going to show it to you in just a moment, you're going to see that he uses this little teaching technique. He goes, we were not this, but we were this. We were not this, but we were this. We were not this, but we were this. And what you need to do, and we'll post this, and you guys know every week we put our sermon notes online where you can go and there's questions of application. If I mention a real truth real quick, there's a link to it and that you can study the scriptures that were here and talk about it with your group and dive it in deeply. This will be posted on that. Okay, so here it is. Paul said, I was not... When I came to you without effect, I just wasn't some guy who ran a service. No, it was the very persevering um, power of God. I came with great confidence when I came to you. I was not wondering with speculation, but I, I produced wonder because the power of God was with me. I wasn't immoral. immoral. I wasn't immoral, but I was pure. I wasn't cunning and manipulative, but I was filled with love and kindness. And all the way down, you're gonna see this again and again and again. It was all there so that Christ-likeness would be produced in others. Joy and power would be produced in others. Purpose, hope, wisdom, life would be produced in others. Can I just say this to you? Why did you live this week? We're gonna take that down. Why did you live this week? Were you a Christian capitalist who just sat in the wealth of your gospel and just... Uh, read your Join the Journey and went to your Bible study, gathered in your church and went to your night of worship and just got richer in your confidence, which you should, but you should not just feed your soul. You should feed others. Now, there's so much fun I could have with this, and I'm not going to have a lot of time to do it, but, but let me just show you right here, when Paul's talking about this um, in verse three, just to show you all that's here, he says this, he said, um, for our exhortation didn't come from air. The word there is plane. It's where we get the, the English uh, word planets from. It means we didn't come just wandering all over the place. That's why you saw in that little chart that I put up there, I didn't come in wandering speculation, just making things up like it was um, just the latest and greatest idea by some guy who sat down underneath some sycamore tree in upstate New York and had some vision. I didn't go to some ashram in India and get some idea as I smoked weed or meditated. No, this was not a wandering. The word planets means wandering. Why? Because if you're getting um, directions at night, you want to be guided by the stars because the stars are fixed points of light in the universe. So the word for planet comes from the Greek word, which means wanderer. And Paul says, I'm not a wanderer. I'm coming with the power anchored in heaven and it will show you where to go. Y'all get that? And I love this, this next word um, where he says, I didn't come with impurity. It's the word akarthasia, which is um, if you have a catheter, it cleans you out. It's the word for purity or cleansing. Um, when you put an A in front of it, it means it's not clean. There was great Immorality. Paul said, I didn't come here 
as some swami to seduce your women. I didn't get you involved in temple prostitution. When we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, um, I'll talk about how God's calling them out of sexual immorality. Just, just very quickly, what was common in that day was that you believed that these godly individuals uh, that would come to you and had visions and insights into other things, um, that the way that you could commune with them is to have sex with them. And that's why the temple prostitutes were individuals that you would go there to sleep with the head of the church so that they could impute to you some insight. It was a scam to get women. I, I think about this. I don't know. How many of you guys know um, um, the story of the Beatles? The Beatles in the late 60s were, um, <laughs> the Beatles in the late 60s were <sighs> using a lot of drugs. And Lennon said, part of the reason we write so well is because um, we're just, you know, Lucy in the sky with diamonds, man. We're just floating on this other plane and we're just this non-consciousness is bringing out all this great music. And so Lennon was looking for the next great thing. And George Harrison heard a speech given in London by the Maharashi Mahesh Yogi. And he goes, hey, this guy says that through transcendental meditation, you can go to other planes and other um, realities. And so Lennon was like, great, man, let's get some music out of that. And so Lennon goes and hears the Maharashi Mahesh Yogi and talks to him. Then he get to finish it because uh, Brian Epstein, their manager dies. And so it cuts the conversation short. And so Yogi goes back to his ashram in India and the Beatles get on a plane and they go on over there. And when they got there, at first they were like, all right, man, let's learn, let's learn, let's learn. And then they realized that the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi was just like them. This was an insecure guy that was jealous of the Beatles' success. And not only that, but they brought along with them a young little American actress named Mia Farrow. And they saw that the Maharishi wanted to commune with Mia Farrow. And he was no holy man at all. He was just on the prowl, just like them. And they ended up just, Lennon got discouraged and McCartney left first and um, Lennon stayed a little longer, but they just took off, right? By the way, you know who Maharashi Mahesh Yogi's disciple was? Because you're like, what, what a bunch of idiots, man. Why'd they go over there and do that? Well, it's Deepak Chopra, that was one of his disciples. Ever been impressed with any of his work? It's air. It's immoral. And it's deceitful. Paul says, not me. It's been approved by God what I gave you. Folks, I got to tell you, I did it this week. I'm talking to somebody about the gospel that I'm left here to share with other people. And I don't tell them what I think. I just take my Bible. I open it up. I go, well, you tell me what you think that means. Read it. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. Great. That's up to you. But now you know what it means. And you're accountable to that. And, and listen, I'd love you to come. Let's hang out. Let's be friends. And I'd love you to see if there isn't a better way than what you're currently experiencing. But I'm not here to convert you. I am here to do what God tells me to do, and I am his ambassador for Christ. I'm not just making my way through the first week of March. I'm not just hanging on until spring break. It's as though God himself is making an appeal through us. I'm begging you on behalf of God, be reconciled to him. Was that your week, church? How was our mission this week? How many folks heard the gospel? How many folks saw the love of Christ because we took our abundance and cared for them? How many people um, 
are, are just communing with folks that are kind of in their same social economic status and how many people are going, hey, is there any, anybody here that's just a faithful widow indeed, single mom indeed, um, person who's just trying to do the best they can, but maybe through some health crisis or life crisis, doesn't have what I have. How are we doing, church? I can tell you, I know so many stories that make you, would make you so proud. Jump in with us. Jump in with us. It's amazing. So here's just an application for you. Leadership is everything. As the leader goes, the mission goes. When the leadership fails, the mission is soon to fail with it. You're the leaders of Jesus' church in Dallas, in Plano, in Fort Worth, in Frisco, in Rockwall, South Dallas, and anybody who's listened to me. You're God's ambassadors. And Jesus' interaction with you is not to be without effect. Do you know who he is? Do you know what he's done? Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Is your faith sincere, or are you just here because you like the way it's generally working? And when the communists open up a shop next door that's a little bit more fruitful for you today, will you shop there? No, Paul said, that's not us. That's not Timothy. It's not Silas. It's not me. That's not the, the leaders that create a, a church that the world is thankful for. For some men, Paul says, straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussions, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they don't even understand what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Mr. Buttigieg has no idea what he's talking about. Elizabeth Warren has no idea what she's talking about. Bernie Sanders has no idea what he's talking about. Donald Trump tweets like he has no idea who Jesus is. He's lived an immoral life. By the grace of God, I don't know what he's done lately. And I know he's got a lot of guys around him loving him and praying for him. But I'm just telling you, there's a lot of people who are making confident assertions about what they know nothing about. Our job is to pray for Elizabeth and Donald. And our job is to pray for Pete and our mayor and your school board. And our job is to make confident assertions that are rooted in Scripture. To pray for AOC. To pray for all kings and those that are in authority. And to be men and women informed by the Word of God. What God wants us to do is to walk with Paul as he walks with Christ and learn how to walk so others can learn to walk with Christ when they walk with you. Let me say that again. Our job is to walk with Paul as he walks with Christ. That's why we're studying how did the brother turn the world upside down? Answer, he did it by not being a wandering planet, by not being immoral, by not being cunning and manipulative, by not being flattery or seductive, by exploiting, not self-promoting, not bothered or burdened by lost people, not out of obligation to lost people, not self-serving, insecure, people-pleasing, not in weakness, but being a guy that perseveres with confidence, who has a wonder-producing power because it's the gospel of God, who's pure, filled with loving kindness, gentle, with integrity, selfless, tender, freely, joyfully, self-sacrificing, faithfully sharpening others with strong exhortation. Our job is to walk with Paul as he walks with Christ. And we're to learn how to walk so others can walk with Christ when they walk with you.
Your job is not to go to church. Your job is to be the church. Let me just close with um, a letter that Paul wrote to a church he'd never been to. He'd never been to Colossus, but he just sent a letter up to this group of people that were uh, in Colossus. And I'm going to ask you to do something that we don't do here very often. I'm going to ask you to stand just out of respect for the word of God, all right? And I'm going to read to you about 16 verses. And I'm going to tell you, this is why we're here, and, and this is what we're about. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, we're not better than you. God has plucked us out of the domain of darkness and called us into the um, kingdom of his beloved son. And all we're trying to do is just show you he's changed us. And we're not afraid. And this world isn't our home. But we are the hands and feet of Christ to you. And our message is not our message, it's his message. Why? For God has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, he is the visible image of the invisible God. He's the the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, both in heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the head of the body. He's the head of this church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. He himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And through this Jesus that Paul preached in Thessalonica, and I'm reading to you now, He uses Jesus to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on heaven or or things on earth, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet now he has reconciled you, church, in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister, of which you, all true believers, were made a minister. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Watermark, that's for you. Can you say that, that we rejoice in our sufferings for his sake? And in our flesh, we share on behalf of his body, which is the church, and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What's true is of this church, you were made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on you for your benefit so that you might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God that's written to you. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been manifested to you. To whom God willed to make it known through the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, watermark. That's the hope of God's glory being displayed on the earth. And so we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we might present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose we labor, striving not according to our flesh, but according to his power, which mightily works within us. Amen? Let's go, church.
Father, I pray we'd be your church. I pray that we would be people that don't just go somewhere and listen. And, and, and I'm, I'm so thankful to folks that are here listening today that are trying to figure out, okay, Jesus, are, are you the one, the firstborn of all creation? Are you the one that makes man holy and blameless in God's sight? Yes, you are. I pray today they'd say, yes, you are. And for those of us who have said that, who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, our prayer is that, Lord, we would grow in Christ's likeness, and we would walk with Paul as he walks with Christ, that others might know more of Christ as they walk with us. And so, Lord, thank you just for a chance to be reminded that <laughs> this is our Thessalonica. This is our moment. This is our mission. We get to participate in New Testament, God-glorifying, world-shaking ministry. Don't let us miss that for being people who just go to church. Let us be your church. Hear the song. It is our prayer to you.